Good morning, church. It's great to be with you. I always consider it a, a privilege that I get to share with you what I believe God has laid on my heart. Uh, today, I, I, I thought it would be good if I just started out with a question. So I have a question for you. How many of you have ever wondered what the will of God is for your life? What the will of God is for your life? You know, like, like what does God want me to do with my life? You know, when I was growing up, I, I used to hear all the time, people, people talk a lot about being in God's perfect will. You say, you got to be in God's perfect will. You know, and people would say, man, I just want God's perfect will for my life. And, and also here, people would talk about God's permissive will. And, and that was kind of like his alternate will. Like, if you miss the perfect will somehow, like, can you imagine a perfect will being on this part? You miss that, you know, on this, like, alternate will path. And, and that was kind of okay, right? Because, because there was God in it, so it's still God's will. Even though it wasn't his perfect will, God was in the mix. And all then I always had questions, like, well, what would happen then if you fall off of his permissive will? Then what would happen? Could I, like, ever get back into his permissive will? And, and, and what if I just stayed in the permissive will? Could I, could I, like, get back into his perfect will? Because if I miss the perfection, then I'd just be messed up for the rest of my life. I'd be hanging out in this permissive will area. Forever and ever. I, I, I don't know about you, but it's something that I've thought about for like, like many years, probably too many years. I think too much about stuff. But if that wasn't confusing enough, you know, man, I, I went to church a lot, you know, because that's what we did. You know, we went to church a lot. And I'd hear, you know, all these speakers, these really learned men of God with doctors in front of their title. And then I remember hearing them talking about all these, con these terms that just seem so confusing. You know, they talk about, well, you know, there's a sovereign will of God. And, and I, I got to talk this way because, you know, um, real preachers have like a real deep, serious preaching voice. So they talk about the sovereign will of God. And there's the decreed will of God. Oh, no. And then, and, you know, of course, there's a perceptive will of God. And there is a preferential or desiderative will of God, you know. And, and, and then there's the moral will of God and, a, and the directive will of God. And, and I was just going on, man. I felt like old McDonald's. Sometimes I listen to them, you know, old, old McDonald had a farm. What this is like, old McDonald had a will. Here's a will. There's a will. Everywhere. A will, will. And it was so. It just kind of confused me. These questions haunted me. Things like, well, what is God's will for the person that I marry? What's, what's God's will for my career? What, what is God's will for the school I should go to? What's God's will for what church do I serve in? And, and does that ever change? And, and what if I got that wrong? Like, like what would happen? Or would I be destined for a life of ministry, misery because I'm like off of God's will? And the thing that, that, that just kept bothering me and then, man, and then I started thinking about like some of the minor details. Like somebody used to tell me that God has, you know, there's like a perfect things that you want to go on. And then, you know, like, like does God have a will around minor details? Does, does he have a will about what color I put in my hair? And, and I, well, mine is only be black. Right? Uh, people think this, this I dye my hair, and, and it's, it's not. I'm only green at temples, for real, real. I wouldn't just stand up in front of it. But anyway, well, you know, what color you put in your hair, some of you women think about that. Or whether you wear weave, I wouldn't wear weave, it wouldn't look good on me. But, you know, some of you do, you know, or wig, or whether or not I shave my head. I don't know if you're like me, but I thought about that a lot because I want to make sure that I was right where God wanted to me. 
But do you ever wonder if God has some predetermined plan for your life like a computer program? That everything that happens to you is part of some sort of predetermined plan that you really have no choice in the matter. Like every good move is part of that plan. And because it's predetermined, well, the bad moves too is according to that plan. So good or bad, it doesn't even matter. So why even bother praying? Because what's going to be will be, right? Because you're just on this computer program. And then, you know, if that's really true, then I was like thinking and praying really is pointless. But you know, there's nothing in my experience um, of being a pastor for many years, there's nothing that generates more questions. There's nothing that generates more confusion than the topic that we're going to talk about today. And the topic that we'll be talking about for the next few weeks, and that is topic is the will of God. And knowing what the will of God is. Let me, just, let me just commit this time. Uh, Father, I ask that you, you just speak to me, Lord. I pray that your truth will come out of these lips and that your message that you laid in my heart will come on out and will touch the person that it's supposed to touch or the people that it's supposed to touch. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in Ephesians 5.17, Paul says this. He says, don't be ignorant but understand what the will of the Lord is. And Paul was saying, you know, regarding the will of God, I don't want you to be ignorant. Other translation says, I don't want you to be unwise. Regarding the will of God, I don't want you to be unwise. Another version says, regarding the will of God, I don't want you to be foolish. Because before you can live out God's will in your life, before you can determine God's will, if your decision making is aligned with God's will, before you can determine if everything is aligned with God's will, before all of that, and way before all of that, you have to be able to know, to know, to know, to know what God's will is. And before you even know what God's will is, first you've got to recognize it so. Today I want to take some time to sort that out. Because I truly believe that God's will for us is not some hidden thing. It's like abundantly clear to see. I also believe that God's will is bigger than we could ever think. I also believe that his will is wider than we could ever think. Also, um, <laughs> I also believe that it's more comprehensive than we could ever imagine. Yet his will for us is easier to understand than any one of us ever really realize. But the first truth that I want us to realize today is that God's will for us is universal. In other words, what God desires for me, he desires for you. I don't get, I don't get um, any special thing because um, I'm a pastor that, you know, like, well, there's a you know, better will for me than it is for you. No, no, no. The reason why I say that is because he himself said that. He, he said what he desires for every single one of us is for us to have a rich, a rich and a fulfilling and a satisfying life. He, he said that. That's just what he wants for all of us. He said it in John 10.10 10, where he says, I have come that you may have life 
and we have life to the full. Another version says life to the full, to the overflowing. Another version says, you know, that you may have abundant life, not just life, but life more abundantly. So God's will for us is a, is a rich and satisfying life. And he was so serious about making us realize his will in our life that, that he's, he said he set out with a detailed plan of how to accomplish that. So, you know, let me just kind of work out a will is God's desire. A will is a desire. A plan is a course of action. And God set out a course of action. He set out a plan for us to do it. And all we had to do was execute the plan, follow the plan and that's why he sent Jesus to die for us. That's what we celebrate around Easter time. He said, okay, I'm making a way for you to have a rich and a fulfilling, and a rich and a fulfilling, satisfying life, and a life to the full, both in this life and in the next life, through my son, Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. In order for you to have that rich and fulfilling, that rich and fulfilling and satisfying life, you got to follow the plan, the plan of salvation, the plan that Jesus came that he laid out for us. And the plan that's in the Bible that says, you know, you just got to follow the plan. And by the way, you know, if you ever hear Bible scholars, and I got to use my, my Bible scholar voice again, if you hear about the moral will of God, it's really what God has outlined in the Bible in the plan. He tells us how to do it. So, so here's how he says to accomplish it. He says that, that God's universal will for us his universal will for every one of us, for me, for you, for your mama, your papa, your baby mama, husband, wife. God's universal will for us is for us to know him personally, every single person. And he said that that's his will, that, no, that everyone should have everlasting life. The most popular verse in the Bible is John, found in John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, our most loved son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. It's not his will that we should perish. It's not God's will, but we should have eternal life. It, in 1 Peter 3, 9, Paul, Paul says it this way. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some may count slackness, but God is long-suffering towards us. God is patient with us. He holds out for us because he's not willing, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, you know, God's like, look, man, I'm going to do everything because it's my will that you spend eternity with me. It's my will that you know what's going to happen after you die. It is my will, and that's why I'm doing all of this. And you can't have life to the full. You can't have a satisfying life. You can't have abundant life. You can't have life overflowing if you're worried about what happens after you die. So many people I talk to, I ask them, I'm like, hey, what happens after you die? They say, well, I think I'm going to go to heaven. I'm like, why? Because I'm a good person, they say. I'm like, well, what if I tell you you have to be perfect to get into heaven? Like, well, nobody can, like, well, that's, so you can't get there. No, but I think I'm good enough, but you know, but I'm not really sure. I think I am. Here's a reality, and this is the truth for you. When God says he's not willing that anybody should die, it means that if you're on the path that you're on, you are going to die and you're going to go and you're going to perish in the place where God had reserved for the devil and his demons. God is not willing, it's not his desire that you go there. 
So you either have the choice of spending the rest of your eternity after you exit the scene with, with Jesus and the angels and all of that, or you can go spend eternal perish death with the devil and his demon. That is your choice. But it's not God's choice. It's not God's will. It's not God's desire. God is not willing. God's desire is for you to live with Jesus, and he, and he created you for that. And he came down and he created a plan for that. And all we got to do is execute the plan, which is to literally ask Jesus to come into your life and just simply say a prayer, Jesus, come into my life. Take control. And that's it. You're in. But not only is having a personal relationship good for your eternal security, it is also essential for a rich and satisfying life here on this earth. In fact, it is the foundation for a rich and satisfying life on this earth. And once you have that, he tells you, like, okay, now that you have accepted, now that I'm in you, now that you're part of the family of God, he says, okay, I got some more for you because, you know, this is, I'm telling you what you got to do to make your life rich and full and satisfying. You got to follow my moral will. You got to follow my word. I, I wrote it down for you. I wrote it down. I wrote the plan. So you just got to follow the plan. And one of the things he says in the Bible in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, he says, he says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He literally told us what it is. He's like, you want to know God's will? You want to know God's will for you? Be joyful always. You want to know God's will for you? Pray continually. You want to know God's will for you? Give thanks in all circumstances. And, and these three activities, you know, being joyful, being prayerful, and being thankful are God's will for everybody. It's God's will for you and God's will for me regardless of our circumstances. If you want a rich and fulfilling and satisfying life, make this a practice. Make this a habit. And you know how you form a habit, right? This is real deep. It's by making a habit of doing the same thing. How do you form a habit? Make a habit. <laughs> All right, let me say it better. How do you form a habit? It's repetition. So practice being joyful, even when you don't feel like it. You know, whenever bad things happen, because as Bob Marley said this, he's like, when the rain falls, it don't fall on one man house top. Remember that. Bad things, the rain falls on everybody's rooftop. The rain falls on everybody's head. It may come down heavy on this head today, heavy on this head tomorrow. So bad things are going to happen. But whenever bad things happen, look for the good in it. Because how many of you know that for every coin, there is two sides to the coin. There's a head and there's a tail. See, if you focus on the head, you get ahead. But if you focus on the tail, <laughs> your life is going to do what happens with the tail. You're going to say life is going to stink. 
So make it a point to focus on every circumstance, look for the good, and be joyful about it. And once you start doing that, you'll find it easier to give thanks in every circumstance. And I'm telling you this, man, I'm not telling you that this is easy. I say it's be easier because it's hard to give thanks in every circumstances. When the rain has fallen on your rooftop, when the rain's falling on your head, this is like a, a Neil Diamond or Neil Sadaka, one of those songs keep coming to my head. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Anyway, um, so in every circumstances, every circumstance, force yourself. Force yourself <laughs> to give thanks in all circumstance. And once you start doing that, I'm telling you, your attitude, your mindset is going to change because I mean, you know that an attitude of gratitude provides altitude. In other words, an attitude of gratitude significantly improves your mental health. And there's a ton of research that shows all of that. And pray all the time about everything. And stuff is good. Pray about it. Stuff is bad. Pray about it. When you're happy, pray. Say, God, I'm happy. I'm happy. Whenever you're sad or upset, tell God. You know, um, my my wife, um, she she tells she tells people all the time that she counsels. You know, you guys may think that you know I'm always smiling and 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 yeah, I'm always smiling, but not I'm always I'm always not smiling. Sometimes I'm grumpy. She'll tell you that. And sometimes I get her aggravated. And I get aggravated. She's learned this, that it's better to take her aggra aggravations out and tell God. And she goes and she tells God, she goes, I don't know what she tells God. She goes for a walk. This is true story. She goes for a walk and she, I don't know, man, she must probably curse me out before God. It's like, that eh, guy and whatever, whatever. What is she? Well, just, she tells God. She comes back in. When she comes back home, we have a great conversation about it. Right, about, you know, kind of because all the anger gets out there. When you're angry, sad, or upset, tell God. When, whenever you're pensive, you're like, ah, oh, oh, it's like I don't even know what to pray for. I was speaking with a young lady this week, and she was telling me that, she goes, Pastor Gary, I don't know what to pray for many times. I just sit down there, I wish I could pray. And, and, and just sometimes you don't have any words, but, you know, you just simply tell God also. He's like, hey, God, I, I got no words. I got no words. So I'm just going to sit here in your presence and have you, Jesus, pray for me. By the way, it says that in Ephesians 5.16 that when we don't have words, that the Spirit prays for us. So don't feel bad. Just take the time and just like, God, I have no words. Pray for me. And Spirit does that. God's Spirit does that. So that's a pretty wild thing. You know, King David, uh, he wrote most of the Psalms in the Bible. And later on, you know, when God looked at the summary of his life, he said, you know, he was a man after my own heart. It's a good example of somebody who prayed about everything. If you read the Psalms, you actually see David going through all the fields. He's going through all the fields. When, when, he's, when David is angry at somebody, when he's angry or when his enemies is coming after him, he's angry, the first person he complains to is God. 
He runs to God, and not the person that he's angry with. The first person he runs to is God. And man, he tells God everything, man. But, and some of David's psalms, you look at it, man, they're called imprecatory psalms. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's something like that, right? But, it's, but David would be like, they'll be like, God, I come to you because I don't like my enemies. God, please kill my enemies. As David is praying. It's like, I'm like, wow, that's in the Bible? Yeah, because David knows that God knows his heart, and that's how he feels at the moment. And David's just like, lending out, telling God, is like telling God like how he feels about the person. And if you notice that almost every one of those psalms, when, when it's an imprecatory psalm, when he, when he gets there, by the time he gets to the end of the psalm, he's like praising God and he's thanking God. Because there's something that happens, God's like, tell me, tell me, get it out of me. Pray always. Pray continually. I think that's what it says here. Pray continually. Pray continually. You know, when David was happy, man, David was like singing praises. He was writing songs. He was playing instruments. He was playing his harps. He was, and David was dancing before the I can't dance, man. I, I, I got no rhythm. Um, oh, Jessica, one of, one of the girls, on the, one of the ladies on the praise team, she told me that one, one time about five years ago. Still in my head. I always knew it, but now I really know it. But David danced, and, and I tell you, man, if I hear a good music, I don't care how I look, especially as a good praise and worship song, I'm going to be like dancing. And but David went to God in all circumstances and in everything. And that's what prayer is about. It's really talking to God about everything. Everything. Why? Because this is God's will for you because it enables you to have a rich and satisfying life. But there's another key to a rich and satisfying life that he says it's God's universal will for all of us to be holy, to be set apart, to be different, to not doing everything that the world does, to be living according to the precepts in God's moral law in the Bible. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, 5 through 7, he says this here, God's will, here it is, God's will, let me say it one more time, God's will for you is to be holy. And then he describes some of the ways, right? And he just kind of picks us off. It's not the only way. He says, so stay away from sexual sin. Not in lustful passions like the pagans who don't know God and his ways. He says, never harm or cheat another person in this manner by violating his wife, either his current wife or his future wife, because how many of you know that when you sleep with somebody, if a man sleeps with another woman who is not his wife, he's violating somebody else's future wife. And God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. If you want a rich and satisfying life, hey, one of the things they got to do is stay away from sexual sin. Uh, nothing robs your joy like sexual sin. Whether it's premarital sex or extramarital sex, calamity, you know, so much calamity comes from it. So much joy, so much less than rich life, so much less than satisfying life comes from this thing. I can't tell you how many church leaders, how many business leaders, how many political leaders have discovered this truth that it robs them of their life because they didn't practice this. 
nations have been brought down because people live outside the wills of the will of God for their life. I'm sure every one of us could think about a person we know or a family we know or a situation we know personally where somebody's family, their relationship was destroyed because of sex outside of the confines of what God wants. Somebody knows somebody whose career was destroyed from it. From diseases to abortions and everything between, all because of one thing. You know, the, the, the will of God is like this really large room. And the room has, I want you to imagine that this room has four walls. But it's a really large room. And inside the room, there is all this good stuff in the room. There's joy in the room. And you, you, know, you go over here, there's a box of joy. You go over here, there's, there's fun. And there's, and there's peace in the room. And over this side, there is rest in the room. And, and there's all this other stuff inside the room. And, you're, and the room has everything you need until somebody tells you that, hey, you know there's more fun outside the room. All of a sudden, all the things that you have in the room just doesn't seem so satisfying anymore because you start to think about, man, what's outside the room? And God tells you that, man, you stay inside the room, you're protected, you're safe. Everything you need inside here. But if you go outside the room, you're on your own. If you go outside, you're going to leave the protection of the room. So what do you do? We go outside the room. And so many problems we bring on ourselves because we walk outside the room. Let me illustrate this, how you walk outside the room. I don't know if I can do it. I'm going to purposely try to walk outside of the room. You're going to see me disappear from the camera. I think this is it. I'm outside of the room. It's messed up outside the room. You can't see me. And God wants you to stay inside the room because it's inside the room there's a happy and a fulfilled life that can only be found in following Jesus and following the will which is inside the room. When we go outside of God's moral will, when we go outside of what's stated in his word, that's what's happened. But you know, God's will for us is not only universal. God's will for us is also very personal. See, God has a will for all of us, but you know, God has a will for me, a personal will. He's a personal desire. Will means desire. He has a personal desire for me because the Bible tells us that before we were conceived in our mother's womb, God had a special individual purpose for creating you. He says this in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork we're God's workmanship we're God's masterpiece that God created us in Christ Jesus to do good works with God prepared in advance for us to do you know I don't know about you but I feel pretty special about that I feel special that I have a purpose in this world no matter who I am or where I'm from or where I've been and the purpose is really God's master plan for my life. And his master plan could be that I'm going to be the father of a person who changes the world. 
His master plan for you could be the mother of the next great evangelist like Billy Graham and that your unique personality would raise a child that would change the world. It could be that, that his master plan for you would be you are the person who's, who's going to be bring joy to many people who are sick, who's going to bring healing to people who are sick. And God's going to give you a supernatural ability to do that. Or you're going to bring joy to people just by your personality that you're going to have be able to. It could be many things. And God fashioned you beforehand and he equipped you to do that good work that he prepared in advance for you to do. And as long as you're on this earth, you still got work to do. No matter how sick you are. Somebody may say, oh, you know, I have cancer and I can't. Oh, yes, you can. Because if God wanted you off the earth, if he didn't have work for you to do, you'd be gone. Just like that. No matter how old you are, it's like, oh, my back, my legs, my knees, you know, whatever. Like, you know, as I get older, I, I, you know, I'm like identifying with, yeah, my back, my neck, my knees. God still has work for you to do. No matter how healthy, no matter how old, no matter how sick, no matter how broke, no matter how rich or young, no matter how short you are, thank God for that. No matter how tall you are, I wouldn't know anything about it. No matter how extroverted you are, no matter how introverted you are, no matter how whatever you are, God has a plan for the way he created you. Let me say that one more time. It don't matter what you are, God fashioned you in that way to do good works that he prepared. And that's his personal will for you. And the cool thing about God's personal plan for you, his personal will for you, is that it provides freedom. And that's why you hear people sometimes talk about, well, you know, it's God's individual will. I mean, you know, people talk about God in the will, they think about it in a certain way that they lead you to kind of believe that everything that happens to you, everything that you do, well, it's just God's will for me. And, and while that's true of some things, and it may even be true of many things, because, you know, God planned advance for you to do, here's a newsflash for you, it's not true for everything. There's not every single thing that happens in your life is part of God's plan for you or God's specific plans. We have tremendous amount of freedom in God's will. So here's a desire. Here's how it works. Here's a desire for us, you know, will for us for, for our, you know, for your life. For years. And, but he doesn't pre-program every single aspect of your life. He provides the room the big old room for us to, to do many things. He says, anything in that room is your purpose. That is your personal room. Your purpose is, is in this room. And you can do many things in this room. So if you're passionate for kids and you don't know where to serve, it's like, yeah, ask God, where should I serve? Where should I serve? Where should I serve? God's like, hey, serve kids. I know God, but which kids should I serve? Should I, what's your will in this kid? Man, serve at the place. 
Reunite the people. Reunite the environments. Just make sure you're serving a place where you're serving the kids because the kids are in the room. So whether you serve right here or you serve right here, matters less than the fact that you're serving kids. Now I'll tell you that there is better choices and there's worse choices. And we're going to talk about wisdom in an upcoming week in a message because God's will for us is wisdom. To have wisdom to make the best decision. All right? But if you're serving kids here or you're serving kids here, you're not outside of God's will. Because his will, his purpose is that. And when you live in a, according to that, it's called the purpose-filled life. The purpose-filled life. Fact is, you know, the two biggest days in your life are the day that you were born and the day you discover why God created you, why you were born. There's no aspect to his freedom. It's a freedom to choose and still be in his overall will. <laughs> you kind of just, did I just say that before? Well, no, this one is different. This one's different. All right, follow me, follow me. So say you're buying a car, right? And you go to the, you go to the auto lot and you see two cars. And one is white and one is red. You're stressing out, God, which color should I buy? What is your will? Should I, is your will that I buy the red car? Or should I buy the white car? What is your will, God? I'm not going to make a move until you tell me a will. And God's like, his answer may very be, well, what color do you like? He's like, well, I like white, God. He's like, choose white. <laughs> I want you to be happy. This is what I call God's permissive will. They're like, eh, eh. Now, I know some people disagree with me. Some people believe in, in what's called the dot theory that says that everything is pre-programmed, that you're like on this dot, if you step off the dot, you're off the dot, and you're off the dot forever, right? Because you can't get back on the dot, and here's how I always explain it. Suppose if you believe in the dot theory that you're supposed to marry this girl. You see the girl and you convince that this is the girl you're supposed to marry. You see a girl, you see a guy. This is the guy you're supposed to marry. And, and, and he's God's will for my life or she's God's will for my life. And then what happens is that they go off and they go for somebody else. It's like, because of their decision, I'm going to be outside of God's will. I'll never get married. God wanted me to marry her. I can't, can't marry her if I marry anybody else. I'm outside of God's will. I don't think it works like that. His perfect will, his perfect will includes a pre-program to many aspects of your life. But there's freedom because nobody is perfect. So therefore we could never be in his perfect will if that were the case. And that would put us in some alternate zone some depressing zone that we'd never get back to God's perfection. You know, and that's what I love about God. He provides freedom within the room. And you may say, you know, God, I don't want to choose. I don't want to choose. I don't want to choose. I say that all the time, man. God, I don't want to be an adult. Can't you just tell me? Can you just tell me what your will is? God, I want your perfect will my life just like give me the dot tell me the dot 
And God's like, I've given you the word. I've given you the Bible. I've given you tons of verses to tell you how to do the will of God. That's what I want you to do. You know, in fact, you know, when people hung up, the only place, maybe there's others, but the only place that I could find, talk about the, something called the perfect will of God. It was in Romans 12 too. So if you want to know what the perfect will of God is, it tells you, God tells you in Romans 12 too, he says, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, remember we talked about that? And pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So do not be conformed to the pattern of, the, of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you do that, you'll then be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, and perfect will. If you want to know what God's perfect will is, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. Um, worship. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Yeah, that's his perfect will. That you do that. A mind that's tra totally transformed and sold out to God. When you do that, you will know what his individual will is. And you'll know how to do it. It's not anything about permissive will. It is the basis for just what God wants from us. So, to wrap this up, here's the big ideas for today. And we're going to talk about some more in further weeks. God desires, God's desire for us, his will for us, is a full and satisfying and fulfilling life. And God's plans for us are so special and individual and they're unique to us and God's plan gives us freedom. And God's perfect will for us is only available through a transformed life into a life dedicated to following Jesus. Because, you know, fact is, he wants to give you happiness. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you eternal security. He wants to give you a fulfilling and satisfying life. But he can only give it to you if you give your life over to him. So I'm going to invite you to do that right now by saying this prayer. This you want that rich and fulfilled and satisfied. Say this prayer. God, I know you sent your son so that I can have life and life more abundantly. God, I know you sent your son so that I can have life, I can have assurance of life with, with, with God and the angels after I die. Lord, I know I can only achieve that if you come into my heart so Come into my heart and forgive me of my past, and I commit to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you did that, welcome to the family. Welcome to the life. Welcome to the good life. I feel like Kanye for a second. <laughs>
But God wants to do really big things in your life. His thoughts for you are bigger than you can ever imagine. His desire for you are bigger than you can ever imagine. There are things to make you prosper. Things to make the, you the best you you could ever be. Things to give you emancipation from mental slavery. And that's what God wants to give you. And that's what he, you have in him. Hey, it was great sharing with you. And there's more as we talk about, you know, like what's God's will in the person I get married to or the person that's supposed to be my wife or my husband. What's God's will for me in making good decisions? We got lots more stuff that we'll be talking about. Until then, have a great week and I'll see you.